Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Okay, Doxedo Hatfield family, those of you who are not seated yet are clearly extroverts. Those of you that are seated are either tired from last night or you are extremely introverted. So I just want to put the record straight about this, um, these slippers things. Don't you want to just come up? I just want to prove a point here. Okay, so as you can see, this is a young father. I got exactly the same ones 20 years ago. This is what they look like now. Okay? So it's not... Thanks, Joe. Joe's points hold true. My name is Bosov. I'm a partner here together with my wife. So I spend time in the financial services industry and in some other places in the economy. And today we are concluding on our series, This Is Us. So in this series, what we're trying to do is we are trying to reflect on those different rhythms that we have to have as a church that allow us to cultivate the ability to persist and persevere in this journey that is multi-generational, multi-ethnic church. That's what we're doing here. So the reason why we talk about this is us is because many of us have done church in many different ways, right? So some of us are new to this church thing. Some of us have come from different ways of doing church. So that's the reason why we call this series, This Is Us, because we are ruminating, we are finding a way of how we as a family do things, and the aim towards which we do things is we are focused, what Jesus was focused on here on earth from the get-go, we are focused on discipling, following Jesus. And what he modeled for us here on earth. So we are in a journey of discipleship. And the church is a vehicle that assists us in doing this. And then we step out and we become disciple makers. We make disciples of other peoples. Introducing them to what their hearts are missing. This is our journey. This is us. So Joe kicked the series off looking at missions. Taiki spoke about community, and then Mo spoke very powerfully about service last, last week. So don't you want to just give an absolute applause to Mo? This was the moment that, we've been, that Mo's been waiting for. Okay. During that sermon, not what Mo said, but what Taiki said, during the previous sermon... There was, a, there was a, a piece of scripture that we looked at. And during community group on Wednesday, we looked at it. And as we wrestled through it, it's an amazing opportunity of wrestling through scripture. You thought you got it on Sunday. You go on Wednesday and you just delve deeper into the word with, with less people. And you talk about real life. And we spoke about real life when we looked at 1 Peter 4, verse 8, and then 10 to 11. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. 10 to 11. So we've got it on the screen here. If you want to look at your Bible and you have that scripture, say amen. Okay, so nobody's got the scripture. Okay, so are you going to fix your eyes upon the screen? The scripture says the following. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. 
since love covers a multitude of sins. Just as each one of us received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let, him be, let it be from the strength that God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. So in the community group, we spoke about three things here. We spoke about the fact that this doing church together, this being served and serving, this being community, it seems to be bookended in this passage by consistency, sustainability. Not rocking up at church once in every three weeks, and when people speak to you, you it, it sounds like a staccato or, or, or because you get every last or second word. That's not the way that we do church. This passage talks about a consistency of church. It's bookended by the very first verse that says, maintain constant love. And then right at the end of this passage, it says, this love is not only constant on earth, it goes on forever and ever and ever. This is us. What we do here as Dr. Deo Hatfield, what we do from Dr. Deo Hatfield into our real lives, it's bookended by a sustainability and a consistency. Now we know that sustainability and consistency is hard but for the fact that the source of this sustainability and consistency is love. God's modeled love for us, shown by what Jesus did on the cross, through the cross, for us. This is us, our consistent doing church in a way that makes disciples and follows after Christ as disciples it's couched in the source of Jesus' love. It's the source of sustainability. It's source of ever, never-ending love. And then you're sitting here, then you're saying, okay, but why do I get so much sometimes doing church? Eish! Pray for mana. Mana is much. That's alliteration in the service, eh? Much mana. Remember. Okay. <laughs> so why do we get tired? And then we happened on Wednesday, we happened upon this piece of the scripture that says, if you work within your gifting that God gives you, there is boundless energy. Boundless energy. And then I look at sometimes the church in the, in the city and I look at our church and I, and I wonder why sometimes this picture that I have in my mind from the scripture doesn't necessarily pray out. Because the picture that this, this constant love and people serving each other, the picture that it brings to my mind is literally of spiritual fireworks. Not jumping up and down or laying down or falling down. Spire fireworks of people in relationship coming together, seeing that if somebody walks through that door, their shoulders are hanging. There are fireworks in the spirit if somebody picks it up, walks up to this person, introvert or not. And at a safe distance say, listen, I see you're not doing well. How can we connect? What can I do for you? People that on Saturday evening spend time with Jesus and saying, I'm going to church on Monday. 
There's somebody that needs to be touched through your word. Maybe they can't hear it because they're in a difficult circumstance. Maybe you want to speak to me to give it to them. Lord, there can be fireworks, spiritual sparks. That's the picture that I have when I read this passage. And then sometimes when I, when I come to church, there ain't no spark. Then I'm... And what we are going to talk about today is this journey that God wants to take each and every one of us on. And I want to share with you the journey that uh, me and my family have been on, Blade and I have been on. And this journey I will describe as a journey from living at the outer limit of pitching up at church. Being drawn into God's passion, His passion for the local church in changing the world. Let's just be clear. The local church is the vehicle through which God chose to change the world. One relationship at a time, one person at a time, one discussion at a time, one coffee at a time. It's God's chosen vehicle to change the world. And God journeyed us with us from the outer room of, of just pitching up at church into the inner room of being switched on to church. Switched on to discipleship through the church. Some call it the journey from membership to partnership. That's what we are going to talk about today. Now, we've asked Jody, Jody has been on this journey, not with us, on our own. And if Jody, if you would come to the front. We said there's going to be a drum roll for Jody as she comes up. The drummer is not here, but we can do hands. Don't jump, you're going to fall. Please, please come to the front. So Jody is going to share a bit of her journey from, from membership to partnership. And I will ask you, to listen intently to what God has done through her life as an example of what we can learn from. Cool. Good morning, everyone. So I am Jody, and I've had the privilege of being part of Dr. Deo since one week before the lockdown started last year. Um, so it's been a, a wild ride, but I'm very, very grateful to have met um, the body. I don't know how I would have made it actually through that period without um, being connected. Um, as I was asked to think about this journey, I look back on my life. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, quite, It was tradition to go to church on a Sunday. And so if I look back on all the Sundays in my life, I would say I've been to church about 98% of the time. Um, it's only the 2% this past COVID season that I haven't been <laughs> going. Um, but I, I would, we would go to church every single Sunday and then sometimes twice on a Sunday. There would be morning service and an evening service. And so I would say 200%. Um, and Jesus was very real to me when I was little, but somewhere in my teenage and young adult years, my mindset um, was a little bit warped in that I, I thought that coming to church, I would gain approval from God and I would gain approval from people. And um, I thought that I was a morally good person for coming to church 200% of the time. You know, I was like the standard. There were these people who are, are doing all these bad things and then there's me who's going to church. Um, so I thought that I was this amazing person, and I would go to church and do tradition. 
Um, but there were some things just still so dry and empty inside of me. Um, and if I think of how I used to serve, I, I would really serve to get approval from, from the people. And there would be so much striving. And I remember times, you know, if my leaders would look at me and smile, then I would be happy. But if they weren't looking at me and smiling, then I would be so offended and I would be on this emotional roller coaster ride of, you know, am, am I okay or am I not? Um, just so much insecurity and so much striving to be someone. Um, during this period, uh, I really felt that I wanted to get more into the Word. So, so I used to know a couple of the Old Testament scriptures, and I used to proclaim um, a couple of New Testament scriptures, like be strong and, well, be strong and courageous, Old Testament. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. Um, he knows the plans that he has for us. So I would say all of these things, but no context and no substance of what they meant and where they came from. Um, and I kept having this drawing on my heart, which I now realize was the Holy Spirit, um, drawing me to read more of his word. I would sit and do New Year's revolutions every year. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible. And then I would fail. You know, you put aside all your chapters and then you don't do it. Then you get into the cycle of shame and insecurity and you feel like God can't hear you. So this was my life. And things um, did come to a point where they fell apart. And I, at the same time, heard of a Bible school, which I am very grateful that I signed up for. It took a long time to get my mind to do that. But I signed up for it. And as we went through the books, the 66 books of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, um, I... I honestly felt like what have I been doing my whole life? I don't think I even knew what it meant to be a Christian. I felt like I met Jesus for the first time. And um, the words started to pierce my motives, um, started to show me that so much of my life was run by fear, so much of my life was ruled by um, pride. Um, and the more I looked internally, the more I realized, wow, God, like I'm, I'm not as great as I thought I was. And actually the whole, the whole word is a love story about what Jesus has done for us. I mean, none of us is good enough. It's, it's through what Jesus has done. And so I would say from membership to partnership, although I've been coming to church all this time, what really changed was um, the renewing of my mind through the word. And so if I can encourage you, if you have that unction on your heart to get into the word, I want to encourage you. Um, it's, it's the thing that, that I missed in, in all my life as a Christian. The word and the Holy Spirit was what I missed. Um, and the journey went from being so... Going through the Word helped me to go um, more, so much more personal. Um, it was no longer just the pastor who knew God. I could know him personally for myself. But then it also went so much broader. When I could take the focus off myself, I started to realize, wow, like we are living in this time period between Jesus coming first time and second time. And he's doing works to the church, and I get to be a part of it. So, so it's become really personal and really broad. And I, I want to give my life for the body um, that God is choosing to work through at this moment in time. Okay, guys, what she said. And now we can have coffee. And thanks so much, Jody. It's, um, I mean, isn't it amazing to just hear that the struggles that we go through are real struggles? I mean, who of us here have committed at the beginning of the year to read through the Bible at least once in your life? Yeah? And then you get to Leviticus, eh? and then you go, ah, this thing is going to like kill me. And then you go to Ecclesiastes, and you say, like, okay, I am dead. And then, so then you just bounce into Matthew, and then you feel a bit better, yeah? Many of us feel like this. 
It's a real journey. It's a real journey. It's not just words. It's not just a play on words. It's a journey from membership to partnership. It's a journey from, you know, just pitching up at church and then being switched on by what God wants to do through the church. Now, in, in what that journey looks like, because it can be very nebulous and it can be very confusing, it can be very abstract, what I thought I'd do is I'll share a metaphor that we can unpack a bit. Don't worry, the metaphor, although it's not based in Scripture, we will anchor it in Scripture. So if you're sitting here and you said, I did not sign up for a TED Talk, this is not a TED Talk, we will find our base in, in Scripture. Okay, so the metaphor I entitled Nina and Friede. So Nina is our daughter, and Friede is the name of a horse. Now, Friede in Afrikaans means peace. Okay, lies. You can already see there's a lie in the story. So Nina is my daughter, but Friede wasn't very peaceful. So what happened was I got to a point in my life where I was really much. I was much. Why? Because I struggled by trying to balance this being a father, being a husband, doing like work, buying businesses, doing ministry, doing work in community, starting to study again. I mean, my mind was just, I needed, I needed rest. I needed a, like a spiritual reset. I needed timeout. Now, I know for myself the way that I get a timeout is I need to sort of just ease my mind. I need to quiet my mind. And the only way that I can quiet my mind is to, to activate my body. And in that space of quietening my mind and activating my body, my spirit is open to be ministered to. So I know that by now, I've tried many different things, this works for me. So then the best place for me to do that is to be on the back of a horse, and the best place ever is in the African bush. Okay, so that's my space. And I started negotiating with my family. So I said, mm, you know, would you mind terribly if I go like horse riding? And you know, I know I've been traveling for weeks on end and I haven't been home, but I, I really need this and so on and so forth. And Blader was very understanding. Nita said, not the dot. I'm going with. And I thought, okay, so that was not the idea. Okay, but then I acquiesced to her request. So I said, okay, so Nina, you can come. And then I realized that I hadn't seen my brother for a while, and he loves horse riding, and then his daughter loves my daughter, she loves horse riding, and so then I thought, okay, so maybe I should open this experience to more people, I'll just ride in the back, right, so I can do my own thing still. So we got, we got to the place, and then we had to allocate horses. Now Nina got allocated a horse called Frieda. So as you would know, this was not a prophetic word over the life of this horse, but she got allocated this horse, and Nina got on Frieda, and then we had this procession. Guide in front, Nina, brother, niece, Bosov. So that was the procession. And it was fantastic. I mean, we saw zebra and, and giraffe and kudu and il, not Elan, I was scared of them. But I mean, we saw all these different things. We did canters, we did gallops. It was so amazing. I had brown teeth because I was sitting at the back and there was just dust coming at me. But I was smiling the whole time. I had sinus, my throat was burning, but I loved it. And then it happened. The guide horse got a fright. Don't know why, okay? Don't know why the thing got a fright. He must be from, I don't know, Durban maybe. But he was, he was riding. I have nothing against Durban people. I, that was the first thing that came into my mind. But this horse, sorry, Durbanites. So this horse jumped up, got a fright, and tore into the mountain to the right. 
gone. Guide, gone. Okay, and then what? Frieda got the fright of her life. Guy gone. Frieda doesn't want to be the guide. She started running at full tilt with my, whatever she was, 14-year-old daughter on her back, tearing down this road, a two-kilometer road that I know end in a cul-de-sac. Okay. So she ran off. I saw my brother just lift out of his saddle ever so slightly. He said, ha, and he went after. I heard my little niece in front of me just saying, Nina, Nina, Nina. I was praying. I just said, God, protect my daughter. God, protect my daughter. And it was the fastest that I had ever ridden on a horse, chasing after my daughter. At some point in time, she had obviously navigated the the cul-de-sac, and she was tearing back at us. Nostrils flaring, eyes wide. I'm not talking about the horse. I'm talking about Nina here. She was scared out of her mind. And as she was running at us, we then put a little line with the horses across the road with my brother and my niece and myself when we were able to stop this horse with Nina. And she was shaking. Again, talking about Nina. She was shaking. She's, Daddy, that was scary, but that was fast. So I tell you the story as a metaphor for this journey that we go on. So if you bear with me just on on unpacking this model of what it takes to take these steps. We start off this journey from membership to partnership. We start off alone. I wanted to do my own thing. I needed to reset and I needed time for myself. And I wanted to do the horse ride alone. And we do that in church. We call that a device with a podcast and a sermon that we listen while we exercise or run or whatever. And it's great. I mean, I did it. I do it as well. I did it as well. I work in Johannesburg, so on those commutes, I listen to many, many podcasts. Um, We bought a static bike just before lockdown. I've now called him Satan because I hate the thing. But I get onto that thing every now and again, and while I ride on Satan, I say, yo, jump, jump, jump. I listen to the truth. But here's the thing. I listen to the truth, but it's so difficult for me to internalize it into my life outside of people that know me and that can help me internalize it as a practical outlet in my life. There's just so much truth, but that truth in a vacuum, that truth on the static bite that is Satan, will never get into your life if it's outside of people that know you and help you take that truth into your life and then through your life. Alone. That's where we start. And then there's a step of association where you come along with people that have similar interests than you. So I got my brother and my sister, and my daughter and my niece and so on. They came. They shared this interest. Okay, but it's still, you know, you can, you can go to Volvesprate and you can start riding mountain bikes. I don't understand how people ride bikes. Say my behind doesn't work with that. So horses, a lot better. Broad saddle, a lot easier to do. But this, this, or running, okay. So now you associate. You come to church, 
but you stand at a distance. You might invite people to church so that it's at least somebody that you know, but you know that you know that there are answers to the questions that you're harboring in your heart, and you know that people that you know have found these answers in the church, so maybe people with the same interests, answers that they don't have to their own lives, they know that there are answers in a particular place. Now we go there. We're going to associate with people with similar interests. Still, your life doesn't change. And if your life doesn't change, the life of your family, of your kids, of your parents, of your, of your friends won't change. Then the step comes of affiliation. And that is where you realize that it's not just good enough to be with people that have similar interests. If I want to take truth and I want to make it real in my life in order to have an impact through my life, then I need to open my life. I need to share my fears. I need to share my misgivings. I need to share the stupid things that I've done in order to apply the word to find a better way out. A place of affiliation, a place of of sharing the African bush with my family in, in such an amazing space. In the church context, it's sharing your life with community group, opening your life for input from others that you might not like, but you definitely need. Association, affiliation. But then the point of activation is where we step into partnership. All of these other steps are lead-ups from, from membership into partnership. Partnership is a, is a place where your whole being is mobilized for the benefit of others. Activation in this journey to partnership, a partner is somebody, is a guy and a girl whose whole being is activated, not for themselves, not only for their family, but for the benefit of others. Tearing after your son, tearing after your daughter, tearing after your boss, tearing after somebody in your family that needs Jesus, the Jesus that you know and they need. That is what it means to be a partner, to be activated through Christ for other people's benefit. I want to take the next step into Scripture, though. And I think the best place for us to go in this journey of discipleship, following after Christ and disciple-making, is maybe going and eavesdropping where Jesus calls his first disciple, Simon Peter. Simon Peter is the first person that Jesus calls to follow him, to see what he does and how he models himself. And he's also the part of the first group of people that God then says to Jesus, says to, it's not only a journey of discipleship to follow me, to see how I do things, but it's also then a journey of disciple making, of introducing other people to Christ, to the change that you've experienced in your life, just gurgling over and then flowing into other people's lives. So I think Simon Peter is, a, is quite a cool place and a person to eavesdrop on. So the place that we eavesdrop on is in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 1 to 11. I'm going to give you just a quick moment if you want to find it. Luke chapter 5, New Testament. If you got it, say amen. Amen. 
If you don't have it, say wait. Okay. Good. Let's start. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by a lake, Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, We've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them. They came and they filled both, both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were amazed at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. And then these words, Don't be afraid, Jesus told him. From now on you will be catching people. Then they brought their boats to land, left everything and teared after him this is God's word and this is God's word that I think is so explicitly explaining how this model fits in this model of moving from from membership to partnership from being at the outer room of just switching on or pitching up at church to the inner room of switching on to church this model of starting of people being alone. So Peter was alone. In verse 2 it says, he saw the boats at the edge of the lake and the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. They were standing there alone. They were frustrated. They were tired. They didn't catch anything the previous night. All of us find ourselves in those places where we need spiritual oxygen. We need spiritual sparks in our lives. And you're not going to find the answer to your questions alone. Peter didn't. He was trying to, he was making ready for the next day, and then the next day comes, and the next day comes, and the monotony comes, and the monotony comes, and then you just say, okay, so what's the sense of all of this? Scripture teaches us that if you're trying to do church alone, you will fail. The next step that he then takes is one of association. Verse 1 says, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. People heard about this Jesus of, of Nazareth. People heard that he had answers to questions that they already had, but that nobody could give them the answer to. People were interested about Jesus. People came, flocked to him. And this, this piece of scripture describes how, how Peter and James and John would have been part of that crowd, knowing, having heard about Jesus because he was traveling that region. But that also didn't make a change to his life. He was still standing there washing his nails, still, still frustrated, still didn't know what, what life holds for him. Jesus then takes the step. You see, we take steps into association, from alone to association. Here Jesus takes the initiative in verse 3 and he says, He got into one of the boats which belonged to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the land. 
Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. So it's, it's like Jesus gets into the boat and then he asks, can I use your boat? Jesus gets into your life and he says, I want to lose your life. Jesus sees many people. He sees two boats there. But he said, Simon Peter, I've got time with you right now. I want to use your vessel. I want to use your life. I want to use your being. The first step that I want to get, take with you is you and I are going to minister together to these people. That's the step that God wants to take each and every one of us on as we open our lives, as we open our gifts, as we open our resources, as we open our boats, as we open our vessels to this journey that is church. And then the activation starts. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep. He said, I've done that before. He says, no, you need to do it differently. And that doing it differently just changed his total economic outcome. This is the point of your whole being being switched on for the benefit of others. Going back into your university, going back into your school, going back into your life on Monday with this mindset. How can I follow Jesus in this job? How can I make people understand that they need Jesus through this job? And sometimes I'm not allowed to talk about it. I'm not allowed to, to, to mention Jesus' name at all. But you have to find a way to do it differently. The mail that you send to somebody that you don't like and say, you need Jesus, okay, that's not going to help. You're going to catch no fish. The relationship that you enter into with somebody, doing it differently and saying, listen, I see you struggling. I've got an answer. I know somebody that's got answers to your question. When you're ready, come and ask me. You will catch fish that you've never caught before. This is what's called a vocational calling. And then this next step of evangelism, missions. Don't be afraid. You will be catching people. And when that call came over Simon Peter's life, he left everything and he followed after Christ. This is not saying you leave your job and you follow after Christ. This is saying you leave all your baggage and your misunderstanding and your misgivings and your excuses and you follow Jesus. You tear after Nina. You tear after your brother. You tear after your sister. You tear after your son, your father, your mother, your colleague. And capturing their hearts for Christ. They need him. They're dying. So we spoke about a metaphor. We spoke about a model. We journeyed from TED Talk to sermon. We brought in a scriptural reference. But now I want to get very practical in the last few minutes. Practical into what does it mean day by day in the church and outside of the church. This journey from membership to partnership. This journey of just pitching up at church and understanding that the church is there to disciple you in order to, to make you understand and show you what Jesus was like and how you really model his life. And as you follow him, as you then allow others to also follow him, firstly after you and then directly with him. What it practically looks like, what it looked like for Blade and I, 
was when the first time that we pitched up at a life-giving church. Now, a life-giving church for me is, is a church that understands that it's there to change the world. It's there for discipleship. It's there for disciple-making. The first time that we went into one of those churches, I was freaked out of my mind. Because I liked this doing alone thing. Nothing changed in my life, but I, was, I, I, I liked doing it on my own. You know, I like sitting on Satan and, you know, just reading all these podcasts and listening to this. Okay, nothing in my life changed. But it freaked me out because there were these strange people that wanted to do life with me. I said, ah, okay, so they wanted to pray for me. They wanted to lay hands on me. So my mantra as I walked into church at that time was, you touch me, you die. <laughs> they would walk up to me with hands and i said, say, ah, okay, so stay away. And then I realized that something in my life changed as God journeyed with us through this, this association and affiliation. And I realized that, actually, if you don't touch me, I'll die. And, and, and church, just my life opening up, was just so different. And then our family benefited from, from words of prophecy, words of healing, words of encouragement, um, food being brought to us, people looking after us. And, and I realized, sure, God, this is what it means to, to be in your family. And my whole life then went from, you touch me, you die. If you don't touch me, you die. And I started seeing that, Lord, there are people dying. Will you touch them through me? And all of a sudden, God just, just started stirring in my heart word for other people, a passion, a compassion for other people that I had never had before. I'll give you a quick example. We had small kids, those of you with small kids. When it's church time, you love going to kids' church. You take your child, you say, your turn. I'm finished. We were those parents. We had me time. We had to have time in church. We had to have time with association. The kids, they made us tired. It's somebody else's turn. We did that a few times, and then we started feeling guilty. Because it was the same people on the other side of this gift the whole time, that people, that they were looking after our kids. And then guilt took us into, okay, so we'll also look after the kids. And then something happened. We started realizing what a privilege it is to be on a journey of disciple-making with small kids. 18 months to six-year-olds. That privilege we walked in for a decade our kids went through, they came and helped us in the end, they went to university, and Blade and I just saw what a gift it is to serve other kids. I mean, we would have this, uh, the story that they always wanted us to do was um, Moses in the basket. Okay, then we had a little carpet there, and all 40, 50 of them, and Blade and I would be like, 50 of these kids were sitting on the carpet, and we would say, now this carpet is the basket of Moses. Come in. Anybody that wants to come into the basket of Moses, we're going to go down this Nile. It's going to be dangerous, but if you want to be in the basket, safe with Moses, get in. Whoop! They would all jump in. They would hurt each other. There would be cries. They would like, okay, so I say, shh. After 10 minutes, everybody's in the basket. Then we say, there are crocodiles on the side. And then they start crying. I say, don't cry. Okay, so you're in the basket. 
And the crocodiles would be behind and we would play the crocodiles. And the whole time we would be say to these two, three-year-olds, if you're in the basket, you are safe. If you are in God's will, you are safe. If you are in the basket, you are safe. If you are in God's will, you are safe. From a two-year-old's heart saying, I can go through the Nile. There can be like alligators and crocodiles in this Nile. But if I am in this boat, if I am in his will, I am safe. Disciple making at Kids Church. That's what God called us to. He called us from guilt to, to just serving kids whose lives were locked into him. Because of partnership. Later's life he used because my wife has a, this amazing gift. She's got this gift not only of having sympathy with people, you know, feeling for people. She's got this gift that sometimes is a burden to her of empathy, feeling with people. And this gift was switched on in a ministry that's called Soul Care where you facilitate people through a prayer with, and a discussion with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And every time that Bleda comes back in the week, having facilitated one of those discussions, she just says, there's a person that got free from something that was holding them back. I love this. A gift used as a partner in the church. The last example that I'll mention to you is not just guilt that took us, not just gifts that took us, but being scared out of my mind. There was one sermon, a Pentecost sermon, and they asked some of the people to come and stand in the front. And on that day, we would pray for people to be healed. And then I didn't answer the call. And then they said, okay, but we need people. You must come. You must come and pray against for people that are ill. And I went and sta- stood in the front at the end of the service, and I, I felt ill. I thought somebody's going to walk up to me and say, can I pray for you? Because you don't look so lacquer. Because I, I felt scared. What, how is this going to work? And down the aisle, a family came. A mother that was carrying her young son and a husband dragging his one leg behind him. He was really, really struggling to walk. And then I saw that the one side of his body was actually was, uh, really struggling. They came and the request was this. Will you please pray for my husband? He's been lame on the one side of his body for years. It's impacting him. It's impacting our marriage. We need a miracle. Okay. I started sweating. I didn't need oil. God led me in a prayer with this young man. Simple prayer. God, you're all-powerful. If it's your will, you can heal this man. That evening, God healed him at his home. From that day, he's a disciple. He's a follower of Christ. He's a disciple maker. He's introducing people to Christ. A journey from membership to partnership. A journey from guilt and gift and being freaked out of your mind to discipleship and disciple-making. That is what it means to be a partner in God's church.
I want to close and I want to ask Hesty if you wouldn't mind playing the drums for us. I want to invite you into a moment of, of ministry. And I want to leave you with a few, just a few metaphors to really just anchor what could be like a very convoluted understanding of just membership to partnership. It doesn't just jump from one, from Leviticus to Matthew. Okay, so it doesn't happen that way. There's a journey that God wants to take each and every one of us on. And we're all in different places. And the metaphor that I want to use is the metaphor of the, of the giraffe. So what do you call one giraffe? Lonely, lonely, lonely. It's a lonely giraffe, okay? <laughs> We're not yet with collective nouns. But maybe you at a point where you are on your own in this journey. And the reason why you are on your own is, is you are using like thought excuses that I've used for so long. I don't need them. Lie. They don't need you. Lie. They don't need my gifts. Lie. They just want my money. Lie. If you're sitting in this space and you are this lonely, regal giraffe, I want to invite you to take the next step. The collective noun for a few giraffe that are standing far apart but standing still is our metaphor for association. The collective noun for that type of state is a tower of giraffe. So maybe you're here, maybe you're pitching up to church, but you're just this regal tower standing apart from people not sharing life. And God is inviting you today to take the next step. The next step is affiliation. And where you've got these giraffes standing close together, there's something magical that happens. The collective noun for these giraffes standing together but standing still is a kaleidoscope of giraffe. And maybe God wants to take you into this next step and switch on the colors and the giftings and the, 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 the treasures and the times and the talents that he's given for you to create this kaleidoscope of color in this church. And maybe God wants to take you into walking, tearing, journeying after people in discipleship and disciple-making. The collective noun for giraffe that are walking together is a journey of giraffe. If you feel that God is speaking to you and just taking one step, I don't know where you are, God knows where you are. I want to invite you to stand with me and that we as a church can pray for power and encouragement for each and every one to take that next step. So if you're willing to take just the next step into this journey from membership to partnership, I wanted to invite you to stand with you as, with me as we close the service.
If you still have questions in your mind that you want to clarify and you say, "Mm, I'm not there yet, that's fine. But if you want to stand in a way and say, Lord, I'm... There's something in church that I, that I understand anew and afresh. I want to pray with you. Heavenly Father, I know that you are and always will be the energy, the creator, the activator, the innovator, the constructor, the instructor, the guider of my entire life. I know also, Lord, that you have positioned the local church as your vehicle to change the world one day at a time, one relationship at a time, one person at a time, one coffee at a time, one hot chocolate at a time. Lord, I don't want to be part of that. I want to go on a journey of understanding what discipleship looks like, modeling you. And then, Lord, I want to introduce people to you. Thank you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that you understand everything that's going on in my heart right now. Holy Spirit, still my heart. This is not a pointing a finger. This is not having a go. This is inviting me into a life everlasting. This is inviting me into a life of spiritual spark. I want that for me. I want it for my kids. I want it for my country. I want it for this world. And this is the way, partnership in a local church. I love you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. Amen. Amen.